Hello everyone and thank you for turning in to another week episode here at Hello Depression. It's me again. I'm your host. Thank you for taking your time out of your day to talk about our next topic. Today we'll be talking about depression relapses. For me, depression relapses are one of the biggest obstacles I face dealing with my depression. They pop up every now and then. I can't even predict them how they'll be. Sometimes they come every couple months. Sometimes they come every couple weeks. You know, and for me, it's just the biggest obstacle. Just because I know that I'm doing what I need to. I'm doing self-care. I'm doing what I need to. I'm taking my medication. And there are still some things that happen in life that make me falter. That make me step back into that mindset where I digress from all the progress I made. And I know most of us tend to feel really guilty about the regression that we feel. Knowing that after all the progress and all the step forwards, we may feel like we're making 10 steps back. But that's okay. So depressional relapses defined as symptoms of depression that may resurface after four months, give or take, um, which would be considered a quote-unquote relapse. Uh, You may experience the same symptoms you had during your initial depression, or you may experience different symptoms. Relapses can occur months or years after you first sought treatment. Most times, however, symptoms can return up to three years, some of us sooner. Your symptoms are, of course, like like our similar depressive episodes that we have talked about in previous podcasts. Some of these symptoms can be loss of interest in hobbies, activities, trouble falling asleep, feeling sad or tearful for at least two weeks with no cause, with no usual cause that besides, you know, stress, sadness, death, something that's not out of the ordinary that makes you feel tearful. Or if you're female and you know, it's once once a month and your emotions are all over the place, something out of the ordinary. Some people have loss of appetite. Uh, binging or they eat more than they're supposed to you know things like that so these symptoms tend to vary depending on person you may experience some of these symptoms you may experience all these symptoms or none of these symptoms or each person just pretty much varies for me I had a depressional relapse probably a couple months ago I fell off the bandwagon about October November ish and I didn't really start getting treatment until this past March um, when I finally went back to my psychiatrist and I spoke with my therapist and they're like, yo, you need to get together. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I really do. Um, it started out slowly, you know, you get the relapses and you don't really pay attention. You know, sometimes you're overworked and you forget to take, you forget to take your medication or you for, you slowly start slacking on your self-care routines that you usually do every day that you find out you're doing once every couple days or maybe once a week and then you start to falter and you realize you haven't done them at all in a couple in a couple months um for me i casually had stopped taking my medication i would be so busy with work you know i'd remember to take it and then the next day i'd forget to take it and then i'd take it again and then i wouldn't take it for a couple days and then i realized oh i haven't taken it for a couple days And then I got to the point where I kind of stopped. And then, you know, I thought, you know, I'm doing okay with taking it once every while. So maybe I can start to wean myself off of it. Um, And then eventually I'd stop taking it. 
one of my biggest issues is I hate feeling dependent on my medication. I hate feeling like I need this to be happy. I hate needing to take these pills to feel satisfied with life. I hate having to feel like I need this to get through my day. Like, why can't I just wake up and be like, hey, me, I'm going to be motivated. I'm going to be energized and I'm going to be happy and I don't need an aid. I don't, I don't, my brain works perfectly. It, it doesn't, it doesn't need any assistance. However, it doesn't work that way. A lot of the times, um, a lot of my friends will hear me compare myself to, and be like, I don't want to need medication. I don't want to feel like a drug addict. And that's honestly the biggest comparison I can make for it for me. Not necessarily meaning like, not necessarily saying that, you know, if you take depression medications, you're a drug addict, because obviously that's not the same thing. That's not what it means. But for me personally, that's how I feel because people who are addicts, they feel that, like they're dependent on the medication, on whatever drug they're using. Uh, they they need it to get through their day. They need to feel that high or they need to feel that numbness. You know, I need the medication to make sure my brain is balanced, but I don't want to be dependent on something. I don't want to be dependent on something else that's not necessarily through anything I can do. Because without that medication, my brain doesn't function the way it's supposed to. There's nothing I can do about that. However, it doesn't help the feeling that I need to use this. For me, the depression, it didn't, I didn't notice it until things started to slowly fall apart in my life. And I realized I was taking the hit a lot more than I usually would have. I was having a lot of breakdowns. I was having relationship trouble. I was having, I was in a financial bind and it was hitting me all at the same time. My anxiety, my anxiety was spiked super high and the fears of not being good enough and the fears of not being able to put my best foot in started to hit me whenever somebody was like, Hey, I need to talk to you or Hey, can we talk to you about something? My anxiety was straight like, Nope, you did something wrong. You fucked up. You messed up. Why can't you do it? Why didn't you do it right? And the voices in my head that I had, so I hadn't really noticed for a long time. I started to come back. But they come. They came back very quiet. You know, they. It wasn't like an immediate like loudness in my head. It was started off slowly. Started off softly. You know, things were happening, and I was like, "Yeah, I got this." But then there was a little voice saying, "What if you don't?" But I always thought it was. Thought it was just myself. I tend to weigh consequences and decisions, so I tend to think with multiple scenarios. I don't think you know A B. I think A B C D. And then A, and then point A has subplot A, B, C, D. So B has subplot A, B, C, D, and vice versa. So at the time, the voices I, I tend to think were like, oh, I was just being indecisive or I was just planning. And then the voices got louder. And till it got to the point where I was like in my, I was in my bed having breakdowns and I couldn't do anything. My relationship fell apart, necessarily, and it wasn't anything they did or anything necessarily that I did. It just showed that during that it during that time we weren't we weren't really compatible. It wasn't between the two of us with my issues and everything going on. It wasn't fair for them with everything going on and 
and then in that moment of course it was like the world was ending I was like I can't do this I'm like of course of course they don't want it of course they don't want to be with me why would they want to be with me I'm a mess you know I was everything during the the entire the entire relationship my anxiety was high it was like okay if you don't do this correctly they're gonna leave you if you don't do this correctly they're gonna leave you and then at the end when it fell apart my brain was like see they did leave you even though they had told me otherwise other people had said you know hey this is what this is why it, it fell apart you know, you need to work on yourself, which was necessarily a, a thing. I needed to work on myself. We both did. But at the same time, at that at that time, all I could see was you fucked up. You tried. You tried to do everything right. You tried to do everything right. It fell apart. And they left. Why can't you do anything right? And I cried for days. I cried and I cried. You know, I went to I went to work and people could tell there was something wrong, but I didn't say anything. I was quiet. I didn't want to tell tell anybody. And I just went to I just buried myself in work, and I tried to get myself out of it by focusing on something else. So I started working on my financials. Uh, my landlord had came to me. And was like, hey, I want to come and see the apartment. We're like, yeah, cool, sure. You know, nothing's wrong with that. Your landlord wants to come see the apartment. She had never come see the apartment. We didn't really deal with her. We dealt with our property managers. So we're like, yeah, sure, come. She came with the translator because she didn't speak English. Nothing wrong with that. But then the translator comes and turns to me and is like, hey, she wants to sell the unit. By the time I'm still with my, with my ex and they speak Spanish. So they're like, and they were like, translating in my ear and I'm like wait what do you mean that's what they said that's what she said and I look at the lady and I'm like you're trying to sell the place and she's like well yeah she wants to sell the apartment I'm like well we're still in it you know we've been in this we've been in the apartment for three months and you said you were talking about you were going to renew our lease and now instead of renewing our lease you're telling us that you're selling the apartment and we got to get out mind you I am in no financial position to move out I don't have, I don't have a security deposit. My credit is a mess. I don't have any money. I'm trying to pay. I'm trying to pay off loans, and it was a struggle. Finding a place was the epitome of hell. We're applying places and them telling us, "No, your credit's not high enough, or you don't have this money." And then if we did find a place, trying to figure out how we were going to come up with a security deposit and first month's rent, and I was a wreck. Uh, I broke down. I broke down. We had came. We had came back from finding an, ap- an apartment, and we were like, "Yes." And then the leasing office was like, "You've been denied." And we're like, "I started to cry. I was just crying, and I was crying, and I was like, this is exactly what's gonna happen.' We're gonna. I was like, we're gonna be out on the street, you know." Everything's just falling. Everything's just falling apart. My anxiety is a mess. I can tell my relationships falling apart. I can tell my relationships falling apart, and then this and then this is headache. And for the whole the whole the whole period of time, I just wanted to lay in my bed, and I want to, and I just wanted things to be over. I wanted to sit there, and just be like, 
I can't, I can't deal. This is too much. My brain cannot function. I want to sit up there and curl in a ball and really just and rock back and forth and rock back and forth. It didn't, it didn't help that I was struggling with my job. I was struggling to be motivated with my job and feeling, and feeling happy. I wanted to quit. You know, I was like, great. I, my, is like, my anxiety is high. My finance is, I'm getting kicked out of my apartment. My financials are going on. I wanted my, I know motivation in my job. I didn't know what to do anymore. I was, I was focusing on other people or trying to help other people, trying to get my brain off the fact that all these things were going on in my life that just made, that just made me want to quit. I wanted to throw in the towel. There were times where I literally just wanted to get in my car and I would drive and I would wonder what would happen if someone, if I just ran off the road or if someone just hit me. I felt so alone. I was, it's like, in that moment, you have you have other people. You have people who you're surrounded by. But at the same time, you feel like you can't talk to any of them. And then you're alone. And you're stuck with self-loathing and self-hatred. And why is this happening to me? Why can't I do better? Why can't I be better? Why doesn't my brain work the way most people does? How can I fix this but it's not an easy fix I was already what November <laughs> November January November sorry November December January February March I was already five five months in I was five months five months into my depression I was in it's not like at the beginning where you can catch yourself at the beginning and try to taper off I was digging myself a deeper and deeper hole. I was worrying my therapist. My therapist told me, she was like, you come in here and you just look defeated. You look like you're done with the world. And I could see that I had problems. I could see that I was falling apart, but I couldn't see how far really I had gone. I thought the world was just hating on me. Like I had come so far, I had made so many adjustments. I had finally started feeling happy. I started feeling like myself, and then I f- and then it was like a rug was just pulled out from underneath me. Like I don't understand how things could have went from being so great to so bad. But it sneaks up on you. It wasn't like an instantaneous snap of my fingers I didn't go from point a to point b there's little there's little many steps there's little infinity of numbers in between there's steps you have to take that get you here and by, by the time you get to that final step you you look back and you realize how did I let myself get so far in this hole I knew something was really wrong with me. But I was so stuck that I didn't know if I could come back out of this hole. I had the feelings of never being good enough. 
and trying and trying and trying. I was trying to find motivation to get to work. I was trying to find motivation to help my financial situation. I was dealing with my anxiety, trying to get my relationship together, and nothing was working. Nothing was working, and I knew it would come to the part where I would just fall apart and I would just cry. My friends told me they were worried about me. They they were worried because I would stay in my room and just be silent. They were afraid that the amount of things that I would do in my room and they would come and they would find out. And I I realized that it was it was true. You know, I do lock myself in my room a lot of times. Most of the time I try to keep my door open to give myself a sense of feeling of, you know, if something were to happen, somebody could always see me. But but at that point, I didn't care. I didn't care what had happened. And I didn't care that, you know, my friends would be sad. I mean, I cared that my friends would be sad. But it wasn't enough for me to be like, okay, let me get myself into action. What was funny was, what kicked me into gear, actually, was the fact that I almost lost my job. My manager had sat down and was like, hey, you know your quality ratings and everything they're they're not good and they they haven't been good for months um so i have to give you a reprimand to let you know that you know you, you can't keep doing this it's it's serious and i realized that if i didn't find a way to figure out how to keep my job I was going to be even in more financial craziness. I was going to be even even more ruined because at that point, finding another job, finding another job that makes the amount of money I did, was going, I was going to struggle. I was going to have to juggle more jobs than I already, than I already do. And it was just too much. In that instance, my anxiety won out over my depression. My anxiety said, hey... You can't lose this job. My anxiety was fighting with my depression. Like, yo, if you if you don't do this, you, it's like you're gonna fall deeper in this hole. And the, the my depression is like, but I'm already in the hole. So what's so wrong about falling deeper in the hole? And my anxiety is like, well, we just need to stay here. And so <laughs> it was like a clash. My brain, I had the the amount of headaches I had in that month was ridiculous. Because it just felt like two sides of me were just going at it. But like I said, my anxiety won in the end. It was like, hey, if you don't want to fall deeper in this hole, you got to do this. And so I started working on my job. I started clearing up my job, you know, trying to get better, motivating myself. And that instance of trying to get things together, my relationship had already, my relationship had already fallen apart. So I was trying to focus on something else. I had a breakdown. I had a breakdown about trying to move on from that or at least being conscious in that conscious in that aspect, you know, as the weeks as the weeks went by and I and I saw and I saw my ex things got worse. You know, I stayed in my room more often. I tried to focus on something else besides the remind the reminder that hey you failed. And that's what I saw every time I looked in their eyes. 
but I knew that's not necessarily what it was. That was just what my brain was telling me, and it was wrong because I'm not a failure. Yes, people fail. People have failures. People have successes, but that does not necessarily mean you're a failure. In order to have successes, you have to have failures. You have to learn. And in that, I lo I, I found motivation in my job. I found motivation to make sure I was on the right track. And the financials, they eventually went away. We found a place. We moved in. And once and once that once that was settled, you know, and the, it was like that was settled. I focused on my work, and I met with my therapist. And my therapist is like, "You need to go back to your psychiatrist. You need to." Tell her what's going on. Tell her how you feel taking your medication. Is it not strong enough? Is it not working? And I went back to my psychiatrist and I and I started a new medication. And in that time of taking that medication, I went up two doses. So, and so, and even now, um, I had meant to post this segment yesterday, but I could feel myself slipping into another relapse. And, and at that moment, I just wanted to, I wanted to fall. I wanted to be like, you know what? It's already happening again. I, I got back off. I got on the bandwagon. It's been about, it's been about four months, about four, four to six months. You know, it's about time for me to hit another, hit another relapse. But it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like an expectation of something to go wrong in your life where you're like, yep, this is where the other shoe drops and now I'm just going to wait here and fall deeper in this hole until I get to a point where I'm so stuck in the bottom that I'm struggling to get back out. No. But I can feel, I can feel myself start to slip and I realize that, hey, I'm overworking myself again. I'm not taking my medication like I should as consistent as I should. So it's like, okay... You know, we'll start with we'll start with the slow things. I'll start taking my medication again. I'll make sure I'm consistent. Make sure I'm taking it every day. Make sure I'm taking my vitamins. You know, do little stuff like taking my showers, putting my hair, and like doing my hair in the bun. You know, I can tell when I'm really focused on myself is when I actually do my hair. Some days I just put my bonnet on and I go to sleep, and I'm like, fuck it, and that's when I know shit's starting to get deep. But there are little signs. Once you realize the little things that you do, with those little nicks, those little flags that you see, you can start to catch yourself more. I know when I start to sleep more often, especially when I start to sleep more often, that's a big flag for me. But it's a big flag for a lot of things. So I have to, I have to take time to differentiate between is it just because I'm exhausted from overwork? Am I falling into another relapse? I'm a female. Is it, is it that time of month? You know, but sleep is a big trigger for me. I know if it's if it's been a certain amount of days, then it's then it starts to look then it starts to look worrisome. If I start feeling like, hey, I don't want to get up for work. I do work from home because you know COVID and everything going on, so it's hard for me to differentiate because my bed is like right there. It's like it's literally like four feet from my desk. Uh -oh. But if I wake up and and I, I look at my alarm and instead of getting up and getting at my desk, like, okay, let's start the day. If I know if I'm laying in my bed more often, it's like, okay, so I'm not just exhausted from work. There's something wrong because I don't want to get up. I don't want to get up to go to either of my jobs. I just want to sit and lay down. 
But like I said, I also have to differentiate between being overworked and relapsing. So got to learn the multiple flags here that you have. But like I said, I went to my psychiatrist. She put me on a new medication. Um, currently on Effexor 75 uh, at the moment. I think she's going to up it to Effexor 90. Uh, we'll see the next time I speak with her. My... My therapist wanted to talk to me about making sure that I was focusing on myself and not focusing on other people, learning to do those self-care tips, making sure that I took care of me because the first person you have to take care of is you. Everyone says, hey, you, it's like you can't take care of somebody until you take care of yourself. That's not necessarily true. I've taken care of a lot of people, but... You, there's different levels that you can take care of people. You can take care of somebody financially. You can take care of somebody mentally, physically, emotionally. I've supported a lot of people emotionally because it's easier to handle their problems than it is to handle my own. But that necessarily doesn't mean that it's best. I know a lot of people, and myself is included in this, I know a lot of people who can dish out advice but can't take it. I'm one of them. I'll be the first person to tell my friends that the best advice is to do A, B, C, D and, and be in a similar situation myself and be like, I still haven't done A, B, C, or D. But it's like, it's easier said than done, as it always is. It's, it's easier to tell somebody else, hey, this is a decision they need to make to make sure that this betters their life. But it's harder to take that ourselves, depending on the situation. It's harder to tell someone, hey, you know, your girlfriend's not treating you right. Your boyfriend's not treating you right. Or, hey, this person's really toxic in your life. This friend is no good for you. They're not doing right. You need to cut them off. Then you being in a situation where someone's like, hey, you know, your girlfriend, your boyfriend's not treating you right. And you're like, no, 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 that's not how it is. You know, they're just tired or they're just being, they're just angry today. And you make up excuses and you make, you make up all types of excuses for them and your friends. But you know, you know in your head you'd be the first person to tell somebody else that, hey, these signs are wrong. Which is, what, which is what also goes to the rediscovery process. Or what I call the process of relearning. Which is, which is our recovery process. It's the process of getting a ladder and starting to climb back out of that hole. The process of learning to love yourself again. How do you go back and make those steps again? Because you realize that, at least for me, when I'm relapsing, I know my self-esteem and self-worth is gone. I don't have any. I look in the mirror and I'm disgusted with what I see. I talk about how I don't like my weight. I don't like my face. I don't like my acne. But I also know if I'm taking my medication and I'm doing all the things that I need to be doing, I'm very content with myself. I love myself. I'm okay with how I am. But it's hard because once you start, once you start going back to that process, whether or not you're taking medication, whether if you're seeing a therapist, the process itself of relearning how to love yourself is difficult because you have to go through those steps. You have to go through looking in the mirror and being like, okay, I like myself. 
I love this about myself. I love this about myself. Or I don't like this about myself. Or why don't you like this about yourself? I don't like my acne. Well, why don't you like it? I don't like it because I feel as like, I just don't like it. Well, well, why? I don't like it because it's not normal because other people have clear skin. Well, what can you do to be happy with that process? How is like, do you want to go to a dermatologist? Do you just want to be comfortable and accept the fact that, hey, this is a part of you. This is something you can't change and move on. Those steps become difficult. For, for me, relearning, relearning how to be happy on medication. Learning that, why is there one more thing that has to make me different? Why is there one more thing where I can't be like everybody else? Why can't I be quote-unquote normal? Why do I need to be happy on medication? Because I have an imbalance in my brain. My brain tells me one thing that necessarily isn't true. My brain makes me feel a certain way that necessarily isn't true. But learning to be happy, learning to be like, yes, I have to be on medication because I want to be happy. I want to do these things in my life. I don't want to have to fail because at the end of the day, what's going to be more difficult? The fact that I'm failing my job, or, uh, failing my job, failing things that I could be doing, not reaching my goals, all because of what? I chose not to take my medication. It's different if I'm on my medication and I'm not reaching my goals. Then I can sit there and say, well, why am I not reaching my goals? Am I not making the correct steps? To reach my goals the first step to reaching my goal is to making sure that my brain is healthy and by being healthy it needs to be on medication but again relearning that it's not easy you have to take it one day at a time relearning that depression is an everyday struggle it does not go away relapses again are possible you don't just get one relapse you don't get two relapses relapses are very are very often occurring they are not a one-time thing or they're not a never thing they happen there's a possibility of a relapse every day you know just because you take medication one day or just because you see your therapist or your psychiatrist one time one time a week or whatever your frequency is doesn't mean the day after there's not a possible trigger for relapse. Something may hit you financially, emotionally. You know, you may experience a death in the family. You something may hit you financially, and you realize you can't you can't do it, and you're in financial ruin. Something may happen with your family that causes you to fall apart. You know, you get in an argument with your friends, or you get or some just anything. Anything happens. There is a process for any triggering moment in the world that could cause you to fall into a relapse and that's a struggle every day not to fall in that not to fall into that depressive state because you don't want to fall in that state you're working so hard to put your foot forward to do what you need to do to be what you need to be and yet it's not working but it is just because you're not at the point where you want to be doesn't mean that you're not moving forward. All those steps you've taken doesn't negate any of the steps that are back that back there behind you. Okay, yes, we've all relapsed. I've taken 20 steps forward and now I've taken 10 steps back. 
at the end of the day, I'm still 10 steps ahead of where I was. I didn't go back from stage one. Stage one is rediscovering why you're depressed. You know why you're depressed. You know you're triggered. You know things that you need to be doing. So you need to focus on those things to make sure that you don't fall back in those depressive states. Those steps are always where they need to be. You're never going to start from step one. And it, and it doesn't and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're if you're self-harm if you're self-harming or you're suicidal and you've attempted suicide. You still have to go through the process of relearning. Okay? Yes. You know, you attempted you attempted suicide and now you and now you're and you you're six months ahead, but you've reattempted you've reattempted suicide or you have suicidal thoughts. You're still not at step you're still not at step one. You're set you have setbacks. You're always gonna have setbacks. Depression is nothing but setbacks. And struggles falter. Strength falters. You're not going to be strong every day. There will be some days where you're going to give in and you're just going to be like, I hate my life. I just want to die. I want it to be over with. I'm sick and tired. I don't want to be here. I don't belong here. I hate this. But you're going to get up and you're going to keep going. Because it's always going to matter the process of recovery. Because recovery is the goal. Not perfection. Perfection is not the goal. Perfection is impossible for anybody People with depression, people without depression, people with anxiety, without anxiety, without PTSD. Perfection is never the answer. It is never going to be an option. The process for everybody is recovery and learning and relearning how to be okay with the position that you're in. You're never going to be where you were 100%. If you you had PTSD and you have nightmares... You may get to a point where your nightmares occur less often and you may even get to, you may even get to a point where your nightmares don't happen. But you're always gonna you're always gonna have that traumatic instance where things where anything could trigger it. You'd be ninety nine percent. You may not you like you won't get to that hundred percent. Because P- PTSD is recurring. Just like anxiety. Anxiety anxiety will be it can be dealt with. I've had my anxiety, I can get my anxiety under control, but I still will never be 100% like if I was a person without anxiety. That's that's just not going to happen. So stop striving for perfection. Striving to be the best you can with what you have and what you're dealing with is what you want to be. Because normal... Normal is overrated. We don't we don't do normal. Nothing about normal is okay. Because normal does not exist. Normal, quote unquote, is everybody's ideal person. You know, the person that doesn't let anything affect them. The person that's blonde hair, blue eyed, or whoever or whoever. Or, you know, the person with uh for females, the person with the the hair that you want, whatever color, or the length of hair that you want, or the volume or the size of your breasts or, you know, the size of your hips, your legs, the ideal weight. Males, males, however, it's the same thing. The person with the, mu- same person with the muscle tone, the, the size, the bulk, the build. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I can guarantee you that your ideal person of perfection is going to be different than my ideal person of perfection. 
But my ideal person is not perfect. My ideal person is somebody who can deal with me during my relapses. Someone who can deal with me when my anxiety is high, when I feel like I'm falling apart. Someone who can catch me. My person can be of whatever race, whatever hair color, whatever not whatever nationality, whatever gender. Perfection is overrated. Normal is overrated. And learning that being normal is not it. Being the best you will always come first because all people in your life they don't want some ideal version of whatever barbie doll you have they want you to be you whether it's goofy funny talkative sporty athletic you know nerdy geeky you watch anime you watch anime you know you watch reality tv you watch sports you play computer games, you do D&D, you play board games, you do chess, whatever your hobbies are, outdoorsy, hiking, they just want you to be the best at what you are and they want you to be comfortable in your own skin. You'll find that a lot of people in your life, the ones that really love you, want you to be the best you. They want you to be happy with you. They don't want you to be this person that you have on a pedestal that you think everybody wants, everybody will make everybody happy. They don't want that. Focus on recovery. Focus on relearning. Focus on relearning how to be you. And in relation to that, your self-care tip of the week is to ask for help. Most of us think that asking for help makes us weak. But there's nothing wrong with extra help. Whether that's phoning a friend, you know, texting your therapist, texting your psychiatrist, uh, asking for an other, another dosage, having that communication with your therapist or your psychiatrist, having the communication with your friends, you know, telling them, hey, today is not a good day. But also explaining to them, hey, today is not a good day because this is how I feel. You know, help comes in different degrees. Asking for help necessarily doesn't mean that you're going to have someone tell you, hey, yeah, I can take your pain away. No, asking for help is, asking for help can be a way for you to come and tell the person, hey, I just need your support. Or, hey, if your significant other is there, be like, hey, I'm not having the best day. Can you just lay with me and hold me? That that can be your help. That can be your support. It doesn't take a pain pain away doesn't take away the problems but in that moment you can realize that you have a stable source or you have friends you know facetime them we facebook like facebook messenger we have google duo communicate with your friends especially in a pandemic all my, my all my pandemic people who, who suffer from mental illness this is a tough time for all of us this is a hard time for all of us you're distancing from your friends and you haven't been able to connect and you're more isolated in your homes than you already are on a normal basis, reach out for them. Ask for help. Just let them know that you need them because that's what they're there for. Friends are there for you when you need them. They're not just there for, you know, gossip or 
movie ratings or sleepovers or whatever or whatever the instances may be. They're here for you to support you emotionally, physically, whatever you need. Don't be afraid to ask for that. Your quote of the week is a reminder for all relapses in the future, all people facing from any type of relapses, people who are, you know, alcoholic, drug addicts, people who suffer from depression, PTSD, any type of postpartum depression, any any mental illness or anything that you're struggling with. Always remember, one crack does not mean you're broken. It means that you were put to a test and you did not fall apart. Yes, a relapse can feel like you were just breaking, but at the same time, you're still there. Yes, you're cracking slowly. You're, you, you may have a big crack, but you're not broken. You're not falling apart because you're still here. You're still trying to put your best foot forward. You're still opening your eyes in the morning, and in that self, it is progress because you don't have to do that. But you are because you want to get up. You want to get better. You want to do what you need to do. And each day and each time you put your foot forward, you remember that, hey, today is better than yesterday. You didn't fall apart yesterday and you're not going to fall apart today. And even if you, and even if you fall apart, that doesn't mean that you can't be put back together. You may not be the same as before. Like I said, you will not be 100 You may not be 100% but you may be 99% and that's damn close enough. And in relation to that, your song of the week is Head Above Water by Avril Lavigne. She came up with this song when she was fight when she was fighting uh, with her disease and it is a song about being able to call upon your faith and being able to speak to those that you believe in and ask them and say, "Hey, I need help." I don't want to drown. I don't want to be stuck in this hole. I don't want to be here. Please help me. And I think that's and it's a good reminder for those of us who sometimes forget that we're in the, uh, forget and think that we're in this alone, but we're not. So take your time. Think about that. Let me know. Uh, as, as always, that was our segment for today. I appreciate your time today. You can always get a hold of me via email at hellodepression2020 at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at hello at hello depression podcast. Anchor does have the ability to send voice, mem- voice messages if you have any questions, concerns, or feedback that you would like to give me or any topics or advice that you would like from me. You can always do it there. Once again, I thank you for your time tonight, and I look forward to hearing back from you all next week. Bye. Have a good night, guys.